preach about on Christmas Day? There's some kids here. I think I, I, I'm banking on it because that's why I asked the question. Who do you preach about on Christmas Day? Kids, you preach about, about Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. Where do we find out about Jesus? In the Bible. Yes, we've got some people. I knew it. I, I knew I could count on the kids. They're always bright, wide awake. Now, I'm going to ask another question. Who knows the most about you? God does. And who on earth knows the most about you? Your mom. <laughs> You're right. Your mom and your dad. What were Jesus' mom and dad's? What was his mom and dad's name? His mom was named Mary. Yep. And his dad was Joseph. All right. Mary and Joseph. Today I thought we'd look a little bit about Jesus from the perspective of his mom and dad, from Mary and Joseph. It was God's will that Jesus be a real person, completely human. Jesus was a real person like you and like me. Uh, sometimes he may not look like that. But I'm going to ask you another question. Some of us think that Jesus was an only child. Did Mary and Joseph have any other kids? Yeah, we'll find out about that in a little bit. Jesus was not an only child. He was the oldest. He was the big brother. But he was not an only child. He had some brothers. Four of them are named. James was one of his brothers. That Mary and Joseph had babies after Jesus. So James was one of the brothers. There was another Joseph. So there was a Joseph Jr. was named. There was a brother named uh, Simon. And there was another brother that was named Judas. Now this is not the Judas that we hear about at the end of Jesus' life. This is different. Jesus had a brother named Judas. And he had a couple of sisters. We don't know the sisters' names. The Bible didn't give us those names. But those names of the four brothers are in the Bible. So Jesus, Mary and Joseph had at least seven kids. And Jesus was the oldest, the big brother. What I want to do is we'll look at Jesus from the perspective of having him as a brother and having him as a son. Mary and Joseph were, his mom and dad, were good, fully observant Jewish parents. They were the earthly parents of the king of kings. They were both from the tribe of Judah. They had royal ancestry in their blood. King David was a distant relative of both Mary and Joseph. Yet Mary and Joseph were poor. We'll find out as we read scripture. The scripture tells us economically they did not have a lot of money. But they were very humble people. And they had very high character. And we'll look at that. Because that makes a difference when we look at the parents' perspective. We can understand a little bit about what Mary and Joseph were like as people. Then we'll have an idea of what they were like as parents to Jesus. Well, Mary is the name that we all know. Mary's name in Hebrew is what? Miriam. Now, isn't that interesting? Moses was a type of Christ brought, re helped to redeem Israel from Egypt, brought them out of slavery. Moses was a Christ figure in the Old Testament. His oldest sister was named Miriam. 
Jesus' mother. His Jewish name was Miriam. Just an interesting parallel. Miriam, uh, Mary was probably about 15 when she and Joseph were betrothed. It was most likely an arranged marriage. In other words, Mary's parents decided who she would marry. They worked together with Joseph. And we'll see a little bit more about this. Joseph was a carpenter. Uh, Mary was visited by an angel and told her uh, she had a very trusting response that she would be the mother of the Messiah. She told Joseph they stuck together. Uh, think about it. Mary was the only person that was with Jesus at his birth and at his death. Joseph wasn't, we'll see a little bit later, Joseph wasn't around when he died. We read of her at his birth, his incarnation. We read of Mary next when she visited her aunt Elizabeth, confirming that she was the Messiah. Remember, if you're looking at the devotional book, I don't know if you're reading through that, yesterday or the day before, there's a picture of Mary visiting Elizabeth. And inside, you can go back and look, inside you could see that artists had painted the two babies in the womb of Mary and of Elizabeth. And you'll notice in Elizabeth's, in the picture of Elizabeth, which is John the Baptist, and what does it say about him when she saw, when she saw Mary, the baby in her womb leaped for joy. If you go back and look at that picture, you'll see that the, that the feet of John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth are kicking up for joy. The artist wanted to capture that idea. You may have missed that as you're reading through. Uh, but that we read about Mary at that particular place. We read about her uh, at the, when they took Jesus to the temple, and they, or they named him, and then 40 days later when they took him to the temple, we read about Mary there again. Uh, we read about um, Mary when he was 12. We'll, we'll touch upon this a little, in a little bit. And the wedding at Cana of Galilee, Mary was present there. At Capernaum where Jesus was speaking, Mary was present there. Uh, at the cross, when he died, Mary was present there. And Mary was present at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came. In each of those significant theological times, the mother of Jesus was there and was named every time. Except, interestingly, in the Gospel of John, John never calls Mary by name anywhere in the Gospel. Which is interesting, it's the only Gospel that does that says that the mother of Jesus, or his mother, because by this time Jesus had become more famous, I want to say more famous than his mother. That happens, uh, Lord willing, to a lot of parents, that your children exceed wherever you were, or whatever you did. That they're a joy and delight in them. So that's an interesting thing that John points out. Now, Mary and Joseph were of high and noble character, but I want to touch on something. That we, it says that Mary and Joseph were engaged. And when you think of engagement, what do you think of? You can talk. Go ahead. When somebody's engaged, what? They're intending to get married. They give them a ring, and they have a period of engagement, and they get married. Well, what happens if, they, if during the engagement, they break it off? Yeah, well, sometimes give the ring back, or you keep the ring, whatever the deal, however you work that out. I won't get tangled up in that. Um, <laughs> But the point is, it's not illegally to say, you know, we decide this really isn't going to work out. Uh, we, we, in our wisdom, we're seeing that this is, this is not a course that either of us should follow, and we'll agree that we should, that we should, and, you know, we should stop our engagement. When we read the scriptures, we take a Western mindset of engagement or betrothal, 
into it into the scriptures. And so we read, well, they were engaged in a miracle. Not at all true. A Jewish betrothal is entirely different. And this will give you insight into the character of Mary and Joseph. So I want to uh, go ahead, we'll look at a word about uh, this betrothal, this whole betrothal idea. What happened in a Jewish betrothal, the young man went to the bride's father. And he uh, established a marriage covenant. By Jesus' time, it was this would be the normal thing that we're talking about at this point. So he talks to the parents and he says, "I would like to marry your daughter." Joseph went to Mary's parents and said, "I would like to, oops, I would like to take Mary as my wife." So that's the first thing. Second thing is, uh, he, the groom travels from his father's house. He's staying with his father, and he travels to the bride's home, and there he negotiates with the father of the bride. Sounds like a movie, but it's not. Uh, he negotiates with the bride's father a price called a mohair. And that's a price he pays the bride's father for the bride. It's a, a purchase price to buy the right to be, to be betrothed to her. A third thing that happens, and this is really significant, once the bridegroom is paid the mohar, the marriage covenant was thereby established. The young man and the young woman were regarded as legally husband and wife. At that point, they are legally married. A betrothal is a legal marriage in the, Jew in the Jewish mindset and the time the scriptures were rereading. So Mary and Joseph would be regarded in the town of Nazareth as husband and wife. Okay, at that point, but that's not all. From the moment on, the bride was declared to be set apart, to be sanctified. She belongs, as, now we would understand this as well, that the wife of a husband belongs to the husband, the wife belongs to no one else. She's completely committed to her husband. That was the understanding. And then as a symbol of that covenant relationship that had been established between the bride and the groom, they would drink a cup of wine that would make it legal. That would be the legal action that now we are husband and wife. I have paid the price for you. You have agreed. I have agreed with your father. We've got it signed, sealed. It's legal. It's done. We have a cup of wine and it's sealed. Now this is where it, I shouldn't say this is where it gets interesting because it's kind of interesting all along. After the marriage covenant had been established, the groom leaves the bride's home and goes back to his father's home. The marriage is not consummated. They live apart separately for at least a year. The groom goes back to his father's home. You're seeing a lot more in this, aren't you? He goes back to his father's home. And the bride to prepare a place, their home. Does that ring a bell? There's another whole sermon here which we're skipping. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive it myself. John 14. Yeah. The groom is back to his father's home. The bride stays at her home and prepares for the wedding. She does not know when he will come back. He does not know when he will come back. His father tells him when it's time to go back. Interesting. They're separated for at least a month, a year. 
After this period of separation, the bride gathers her things together. She prepares for when the groom will return. Now that's the betrothal. So when we see when Mary left and went to Elizabeth's house for three months to stay with her, after she found out that she was pregnant and so forth, uh, that makes perfect sense. That's part of what happens. Mary and Joseph would be apart during that, during that time. So that gives us a little bit of an insight into what's, be, in betrothal, what's dealing with betrothal. Now what is interesting is that we find out all of that part of the story from Matthew. Matthew wrote his gospel to Jews. So Luke wrote his to Gentiles. And so we learn part of the Christmas story in Luke where it concerns everyone. Matthew is concerned with the Jewish aspect of things. In Matthew, Jesus' genealogy is chased, uh, traced through Joseph. In Luke, it's through Mary. And we find that they're both in the same genealogy. Now I want to look a little bit at, so that gives us a little idea of, of Mary and her character, a little idea of what's going on when we talk about betrothal, because now we get some more insight into Joseph's character, and I'd like to look at him a little bit, and then we'll look at Jesus in a little bit uh, as well. Joseph, uh, when Mary told him that she was pregnant, you can understand his response a little more clearly than him. It's my wife. I already paid a price for her. Everybody in Nazareth in his little town regarded them as husband and wife. She was set apart for Joseph. She goes away to Elizabeth, spends time at Elizabeth. She comes back pregnant. It's pretty... You can see how you could draw a conclusion here, couldn't you? How Joseph could draw a conclusion. Now, Joseph, according to Jewish law, could have brought Mary to trial, and she would have been, um, the sentence was death for adultery. And then everything on the surface looked like that's exactly what had happened. That this woman had been unfaithful to her husband, and now she was pregnant, and the law says that death is the penalty. Or, a second thing Joseph could do, he could pay a fine and divorce her, as we understand divorce, quietly, which is what Joseph decided to do. That tells me of his character that he really loved her. He didn't want her to be put to death. But he loved her and he went just quietly, let's just, let's move on. And that was, that was his plan. Then Joseph, as you know the story, got visited by Gabriel, same one who had talked to Mary a little bit before. And he unfolded to Joseph the bigger picture of what God was doing. There's a phrase that, that uh, in, uh, on verse 24, Joseph awoke and did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Joseph didn't quabble, he didn't argue with the angel, he, didn't, he just said, I see, that's what I need to do. And so he made clear that, Matthew also makes clear that Mary and Joseph did not consummate their marriage. He wanted to make sure that we knew and that we understood that the child from the side was conceived of the Holy Spirit, not of Joseph. So he makes a point of that, uh, just to make it clear. Well, Mary left, as we said, and stayed uh, with Elizabeth for a while, but it gives you a little idea of Joseph's character and the kind of person he was. You see, it's not easy having God as a son. <laughs> it's not at all easy. Now, I want to look, move ahead and let's look at Jesus a little bit. Uh, and his parents, and his relationship with his parents. 
At eight days, he was circumcised, as all Jewish boys are, and there's some more theological and physical and all kinds of reasons uh, for that. But, and he was named, on the eighth day the child was named, and he was given the name Jesus. Mary and Joseph didn't get to make up his name. The angel said, this is what God would call him, Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Joshua. God saves his people. Joshua is Hebrew. Jesus is Greek. Okay? Um, and then, there's an interesting thing. At 40 days, according to Jewish law, see, Mary and Joseph did everything according to the law. At 40 days, the firstborn child was to be taken to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. Uh, we actually, we talked a lot about that about a month ago on, on November 27th, if you want to go back and, and listen, to, uh, listen to that part. And also at last Christmas on the 26th, I, I just, I had forgotten this, but I also preached, and I preached on Simeon, which is what happens at, at 40 days. Now I want you to think about this a minute. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, travels six miles, Jerusalem at 40 days to the temple and Simeon takes this little baby in his arms a little baby a little baby in his arms and he says this baby
There were questions. There were mysteries regarding the workings of God. That's the situation that all of us are in. There are things I don't understand at all about how God works. Mary and Joseph were in that same situation again and again and again. It's definitely not easy having God as a son. I want to look at another incident with Jesus and his family. The wedding at Canaan Galilee. Remember Jesus, when Jesus turned the water to wine and Mary said, came to him and said, and said, you know, help him, help him, help him. And Jesus said, dear woman, what's that to you? And I've always been a tingle that dear woman, is that a put down? No, it is. He used, actually used the same phrase, dear woman, when he was on the cross, when John was there, and he said, dear woman, here's your son. And it's kind of like saying, mom, do you really understand what's going on? It, it's endearment. It's, it's acknowledging that yeah, maybe you don't quite understand what I'm, I'm going to show you a bigger picture. And so you have that tenderness. But Mary was a little, then she just said, well, do whatever he says. You know, do whatever he says. Uh, a Jewish mother has a hard time. I shouldn't say a Jewish mother. Any mother has a hard time in not telling her son what to do. Right, ladies? Right. Right, husbands? Right. And so we have, we have that, that situation. Um, but you know what? Uh, before the wedding of Cain and Galilee, there was another one. Thank you, James, for reminding me where we are here uh, with Joseph. Um, now, one second. Excuse me. Yes, I, I walked right past it. I missed. We went to the, the wedding in Cali. There was something happened between the dedication of Jesus and the wedding when he was 12 years old. You know the story. They went to Jerusalem every year. Jesus went when he was 12. My guess is they had bar mitzvahs when he was 13, so they were going to uh, prepare. And his parents trusted him. And you know the story. They were going back home. Now, often when people traveled in these days, it's about uh, from Nazareth where they lived down in Jerusalem. It was about from here to Disneyland. About that, about that, exactly that distance. So they walked that far. And often people would travel in groups, and lots of times the men or the women and the children would go on ahead and they'd say, "Well, let, let's meet in, in San Juan Capistrano, or let's meet at Carlsbad uh, to, tonight. We'll stop there." And they would, you know, and so they would that'd be a arranged place. So it's not unusual that they would be traveling and not knowing that Jesus uh, was not with them, but they assumed that he's either back with his dad or he's on ahead. Uh, in which case, but. Anyway, when they got to the end of the first night, they discovered that Jesus wasn't there. They, you know, it's like we've been traveling a whole day, and we have another day to go back, and we have a day to look all around Jerusalem to try and find him. And then they finally, uh, when they finally did find him, where was he? What was he doing? And then his response was somewhat of a surprise. He was in the synagogue. But his response, is, it says in the scriptures, his parents didn't know what to think. They were amazed. Jesus was talking with the PhDs, with the lecturers, the, the historians, the theologians. And he was asking questions. And what is interesting, they were asking him questions. This 12-year-old kid, who, is anybody in here 12? 12. Okay, 
I do not want to embarrass you, but I want you to stand up and see what a 12-year-old looks like, okay? Just <laughs> bless you. Thank you. All right. All right. Good. We've got two 12-year-olds. All right. Now, if you imagine these two girls with a bunch of university professors discussing theology, asking questions, and answering the questions that the professors were asking. It says the teachers were amazed at Jesus. But, and it says his parents were amazed. His parents didn't know what to think when they finally found it. And Mary said, son, Jesus, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic. We've been searching everywhere for you. Like we went into L.A. There are thousands of, we were in Jerusalem. At, there were, everybody was there at Passover. Hundreds of thousands of people. We lost our 12-year-old. Anything could happen. We've been looking all day for you. We've been gone three days. Where? Parents, you'd go nuts. I would go nuts. If you've never lost your kids, you know what we mean. You know, these are the first words that we hear from Jesus after he is born. These are the first words that Jesus spoke. Why do you need to search, Mom and Dad? Didn't you know I must be in my Father's house? Already at 12, Jesus knew his mission. Interestingly, he did not call Joseph his father. I'm in my father's house. And it's said in such a way that Jesus, I'm surprised, Mom and Dad, that you didn't realize this. Not sassy, not rude. It says he was obedient, he went on with them and so forth. But as a young kid, I'm surprised, Mom and Dad, you didn't know that this is where I am. You should have just come here right away. But he already understood. So if anybody had used the idea that Jesus really didn't know who he was, and he kind of gradually understood that he was the Son of God, that Scripture doesn't. That's not what Scripture supports at all. From the very beginning. Interesting. Then we look at Capernaum. And we, and, uh, we, talk, we talked about the wedding. But the next time where... Uh, his family appears, and this is an interesting, there's the wedding where he changes the water to wine, and, and his mother, again, doesn't quite understand what's going on here. But then later, we go ahead to Capernaum. And Jesus, by this time, has become famous. Now he's 30 years old, or so in his ministry. Everybody knows about him. There are miracles happening. He, he's a genuine rock star. Piles of people every place where they're going. But his family, uh, in verse, uh, Mark uh, chapter 3 and verse 20, and Jesus entered the house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. There was so much going on. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, Jesus is out of his mind. Think about that. Your brothers and sisters and your mom, you're talking and your family gathers and say, we've got to take him out of here. He's lost it. He really has lost it. He's famous, but he's all messed up in the head. We've got to get him out of here. Then Jesus and his brothers, mother and brothers came to see him. Apparently Joseph had died by this time. We know of Joseph when Jesus is 12. But then he is never mentioned again. Mary is mentioned. The rest of Jesus' family is mentioned. So at some time, I guess, during his teenage years or early 20s, Jesus' father, earthly father Joseph, died. Because we don't hear any more about him. 
Well, now his mother and his brothers were standing outside. They, they stood outside and sent word in to Jesus. Tell him to come out. We've got to talk with him. There's so many people there. We can't get in. Would somebody go give a message and tell him his mom and his brothers are here? We need to see him right away. Then the crowd was sitting around Jesus and somebody said, Your mothers and brothers are outside. They're asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he looked around at those and said, Look, these are my mother and my brothers. Boy, what a strange answer. It's not easy having God as a son or as a sibling. Think about, as we come to the end, think about Jesus for your sibling. Jesus were your older brother. There were questions about the legitimacy of his birth. You may have even had some as well. Clearly, he had got the subject of gossip all through his growing up years, as his whole family had been. But he never did or said anything wrong. You couldn't quite figure him out all the time. He was a little odd, as far as you were concerned. He seemed to be preoccupied with something else at times. At times, he was a little mental. I mean, there's times when you just really didn't understand it at all. Then he started doing miracles and became very popular. Kind of kept to himself sometimes. He was almost a loner. It's not easy having God as a sibling. I want to conclude with some questions. Uh, it, some of you may know the book, Max Licato's God Came Near. There's a chapter, 25 questions for marriage. I took the liberty to edit and add and detract and so forth. But these are some questions. Think about Jesus as a son. Think about Jesus as a brother. What was it like hearing him pray? How did he respond when he saw other kids giggling during the service at synagogue and ignoring his father? Did he celebrate? Did he ever mention a flood? Did you ever feel awkward teaching him how he created the world? What were his science projects like at school? He had one, they had a science project, he took the teacher, he said, you have, to, you have to create something, and he said, well, this is my project. Tonight, when it gets dark, go out, look at the sky, see all the stars. When he saw a lamb being led to the slaughter for sacrifice, did he act differently? Did you ever see him with a distant look in his face, as if he were listening to someone you couldn't hear? How did he act at funerals? Did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep in the next room in your house? Did he ever come home with a black eye? How did he act after his first haircut? How did he do in school? How did those parent-teacher conferences go? Did you ever have to scold him? When someone said, so help me God, did he? Did he ever have to ask you a question about the scriptures? Did he ever get angry when someone was dishonest with him? Did he ever wake up afraid? Who was his best friend? Did he ever say yes when someone said, oh my God? What did he and his cousin John talk about as little kids? 
his cousin, John the Baptist. How did he act when he saw someone selling their body, the body that he had made? Did his brothers and sisters understand him? When somebody laughed about hell, how did he act? Did you ever think, that's God eating my soup? His brothers came around, as you know. His brother James wrote the book of James in the New Testament. His brother Judas wrote the book of Jude in the New Testament. At his resurrection, it's not easy having God as a son, and it's not always easy having Jesus as our older brother. Because like Mary and Joseph, we don't always understand what he's doing. But we do know his actions are in perfect accordance with his Father's will. And in that we can rest. Our Father, we thank you that you are our Father. We thank you that Jesus is our brother, that he intercedes for us even now. Lord, we're reminded how little we understand of your ways at times, and at other times your ways are so clear. We pray that as we enter into the new year, that we would, our trust would grow, that like Mary and Joseph, we would learn to trust you more and more. And we give you great thanks, Father, for your love, for your care, for your presence with us in this sanctuary this day. That you are not a God who is distant or far away, but your name, Emmanuel, God with us. For it's in Jesus, your Son's name we pray. Amen. We'd like to have the others uh, receive our offering, and then we'll have communion, and then we'll be on our way. Thank mm -hmm. you.